This is a song for my friends Jared and Gary. They started a podcast and said a theme was necessary. They're just a couple of guys in a band that you know. Some rock star dads who started a show. So here's the next episode. Welcome to the Rockstar Dad Show here on Adobe Radio and on whatever podcast catcher you listen to. Uh, subscribe to this thing and write us a review. Oh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hi. How's it going? Yeah, uh, I'm Jarrett. That's Gary over there. And we just got back from Mexico late last night um, at our bass player Rob's wedding. I'm proud of us. We planned ahead, said the day after vacation we were going to get up in the morning and do this, and we did. We did it, and it would have been easy to reschedule. Yeah. You know? Um, to be fair, it would have been, I think it, it would have been more natural for us to reschedule than to actually be here right now. Yeah. Were you waiting on me to text and go, hey, let's uh, yeah. maybe push it? Because I was kind of thinking you were going to text me and say, let's push it. You don't really do that as much as I do for like things like being tired or hungover, though. <laughs> like yours, you usually, I mean, both of us will get the the time where, okay, I got a sick kid or right. I've got a mix up in schedule or, you know, whatever. Uh, very seldom when I have to cancel is it work-related. Yeah. I I can attribute uh, most of that to the divide and conquer that Anique and I do with the children because most of the times we do the dad show, it is on a school day. Yeah. And whether I was up late, hungover, whatever, I take Tyler to school. So I'm up. Right. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, but there, there, herein lies my one of my bad habits. Um, because I'm able to set my own hours and because I, you know, for the most part, am a entrepreneur because I do our band stuff mm -hmm. as part of my job. Um, then, you know, the other things that I do, I'm my own boss. So I have a tendency to be able to take Everett to school in the morning, which I did this morning. I went and checked my mail at the UPS store. I got back home at nine yeah, and I was like, I'm going to lay back down for like 45 minutes. Yeah. I was fine until I laid back down. <laughs> and then I actually I had A-L-E-X-A wake me up at half past. And then I was like, okay, I'll do 15 more minutes. And then I woke up two minutes before the alarm. And I was super proud of myself. I went ahead and got up. I'll say anytime I ever wake up before the alarm goes off, that is like a major accomplishment. But do you... So, but if... What's the... See... There's there's a big difference of like waking up 45 minutes before the alarm uh -huh. or like or waking up like five minutes before the alarm. I mean, in time, you're exactly right. That is a big <laughs> difference in time. I think the mental thing that happens for me, no matter if it's five minutes or 45 minutes, whenever I wake up before the alarm, I'm like, holy crap, I'm awake. Yeah. Now, sometimes I go, oh, there's 45 minutes. I'm going to go back to sleep. And then whenever I wake back up because of the alarm, I feel like crap. Right. But if I wake up on my own and get up, I'm great. I think that's something, one of the things I'm going to try to do. I think uh, I'm making some changes. I'm going to try, try to lose some weight. And I've been saying that. I realize that. But I do really need to. The knees are not getting better. And, um, but I think in my, in my quest to get healthier, I'm going to be on a quest to even be more productive. And I think part of productivity is time management, and part of time management is using available time. Mm -hmm. 
And had I just stayed up, I could have come up here and gotten an hour's worth of shit done that I'm just going to have to figure out how to pro procrastinate later. <laughs> yeah, or rush it and half-ass it and yeah, squeeze it in somewhere. Right. Well, the problem with the things that I do, uh, th like uh, all the creative shit, is I can't half-ass it because it's our livelihood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I need to, there's things that I need to do that I know I could have, I could have, if I could have, Use that hour, I could have gotten something done that is now going to hang over my head for probably two days because I know I'm not going to have time to do it. Yeah. So, see, I've learned something today, Gary. I feel like we're turning into a self-help show. <laughs> well, the point of all of this is, is that we did it. We went on this awesome trip, saw our bass player get married, and had a lot of fun. A ton of fun. We had a bunch of friends there. We... uh drank booze the whole time and it was anique and my first kidless trip oh, in man. years yeah that's awesome yeah we usually do like family trips or i don't know but this is the first time i don't know in like six years that we went just us without kids it was cool because it was like his family and then his friends growing up and then um anthony from patent pending was there mm-hmm and then his brother, who is in the band Don't Panic and who books a bunch of bands that everybody knows, yeah. was there. And that was kind of the extent of the music industry. Yeah. And so, really, we kind of get those conversations out of the way early, and then it was just a hang. Well, and half of the, half of the cousins and stuff we had already met because they've come out to shows whenever they're in town. So, yeah. then it, it was kind of like not the the whole th first two days of the trip wasn't like oh let's meet this person we were meeting people but some of it we had already met half the cousins we had met and half of them wanted nothing to do with us yeah did you get that vibe yeah and it wasn't the ones we had already met no <laughs> <laughs> so apparently we didn't offend them yeah now we went to a uh I, casey and i go down there quite often i mean we've managed to get down to mexico about once a year for a few days Sometimes with other couples and sometimes just us. And we never go to a resort that allows kids, mm -hmm. ever. And as I'm thinking back to that, I, I, I think this particular resort, we went to Azul in Cancun. And the way that that place is set up, you, you don't ever have to see the kids if you don't want to. They did a fantastic job of that. So I've been to other ones that are kid-friendly and ones that you know aren't where kids aren't allowed and where kids are. And the ones where I've been before where the kids are, you know, you're definitely sitting in the swim-up bar and hearing someone else's kids screaming and this and that. Yeah. And, like, that never happened Not at this once. place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they had swim-up bars in all of the pools, but we just – there was one pool that was adults only – and that's the one that we went to every day, and it was fucking great. Now, I mean, I guess the one thing that I didn't notice, and I wonder if that was going on at the other pool, was, you know how they have, like, the recreation crew, and they come around and try to get everybody to play volleyball, and right. they try to get everybody to do a competition about ice cubes in your mouth and shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe that was over at the family pool, but uh, I wasn't over there ever. Never even yeah. saw it. Uh, we, we were talking to Jackie's sister. Jackie was the bride. And she was just like, you know, I just want a little quiet every once in a while. It's like there's too much music and there's this and this and this. This bar that we were going to was just perfect. And I'm not one that really cares about that kind of shit. Like, I don't, I mean, like, as long as the music isn't blaring in my face, mm -hmm. but I will say that at a lot of resorts you go to, it's like you're sitting there and you're having a great time and you're having conversation. And then a, a 
a freaking top 40 band just shows up and starts playing by the pool. Yeah. And there are days when you're like, okay, this is fine. And there's days where, oh my God, please shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, I never, never had the, uh, every, the music was too loud or this or that. Like there was one night at the last place where it was a little bit loud and it was hard to have a conversation, but that may just have been, I was really drunk that night. Well, we talked about that. Like when we were in the dance club thing, um, yeah, there's something about just that room and just the amount that my ears were clogged up. I couldn't hear a word anybody was saying. Right. And so <laughs> I just would do the, the, what is, what? And I'd give them about three tries, then I'd just, a little fake laugh. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a hard thing for um, musicians like ourselves that have been playing loud instruments for, you know, 30 years is, uh, I, I think the range of hearing that we have lost is like what people's voices are. And so if there's other music going on or something, it's always small talk right. where you can't hear somebody. And that, yeah. then it just is an awkward conversation. See, you, I, I always think I'm going deaf, and then I will watch my wife talk to me, and she'll say that I'm going deaf or whatever, but she does this thing where she'll start a sentence and then turn her head. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, and we're in, like in an airport. And it's like, and she talks soft anyway, and she does that fade out thing, you know? <laughs> anyway. It's, maybe she's just fucking with you. Maybe. I think that could be a long standing fucking with. I think, I don't know. I've worn earplugs since I was a teenager, but I obviously know that we've hurt our, our hearing. But I think also the, the wearing the in-ears, we've protected hearing in some frequencies or ranges or whatever. Because it's weird to me. It is, it is small talk in like weird rooms where I can't hear people's voices. And I'm, whenever that's going on, I'm always like, yeah, I'm losing my hearing. But then whenever we're like at the house watching TV, I'm like, I can hear everything they're saying. Why can't my wife? Like yeah. she's needing to turn it up way louder than I need it. Yeah, I don't like the volume loud in the car at all. Like I, yeah. I like it like listenable where I can still have a conversation no matter what it is. And the kids and Casey get in the car, and it's just like, turn it up, turn it up. <laughs> and it's like, they want to turn it up and then talk over that. So it's, I realized, God, I am sounding old here. Yeah. But I've always been like that. I mean, I really never, I've never been one to like, turn the music up as loud as it'll go in my car and then roll my windows down so that everybody knows what I'm listening to. I never really cared about what everyone was uh, heard what I was listening to. We live in Texas, so the windows were always up and the air conditioning was on. Yeah. But whenever I was a teenager, I was definitely blasting the music. Do you like to bump? You uh, like to bump it? Well, I never spent money on a stereo because <laughs> I was always like wanted to spend money on booze or something probably. Yeah. But uh, no, I never. I didn't. I just turned up my shitty car stereo loud. Yeah, I had a good stereo in my truck, but I, I didn't get it to bump. I just wanted to be able to play the metal really loud you're right i guess i did do that um but yeah it was a good trip and a good wedding uh the best man speech was was awesome the uh it was the, it was like the best best man speech ever it was really really good yeah um and then and that was given by his brother ted um and then you know at any time the daddy daughter dance thing happens it's i gotta i lose it yeah and they did that they did it with that song uh, My Little Girl by Tim McGraw and yeah. Jesus Christ. That was good. And here's the thing, that gets worse. Like, my daughter's about to be 17 years old. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that she would be getting married in five years? Yeah. Six, seven, eight? I mean, it, you know, I mean, a lot of people get married when they're 20. Yeah. I don't know. 
That's a weird one. How would you feel if she was getting married at 22? Um, I guess it depends on I think the it depends situation. on the situation. I think if she gets a long-term boyfriend or, you know, she just meets the right person and she's happy and the circumstances are as such. I mean, I, as we talk about, you know, a lot on this show, I have a hard time telling anyone, especially someone young, how to live their life because I, I can't say that I've ever taken, you know, the the road most traveled. Um, I definitely didn't do that career wise. I didn't do it school wise. I didn't, I haven't done it ever relationship wise. You know, I, so it would be really hard for me to, to look at somebody in the face and tell them that they're making a bad choice. I mean, unless it, and again, unless the circumstances are just shitty, the guy is shitty, it, you know, that I think that there's, there's probably, um, things that would sway me either way. Yeah. I think that's uh, my opinion. I don't have a daughter about to be that age, but it is the same. Like, I feel like if they dated for a while, the guy was good. You liked him. Like, okay, it's a good situation. It's fine. Age doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah. Um, but if it were a shitty situation, they knew each other for a week and he's a dipshit. And, you know, like it just, if you did say anything, it'd only make it worse. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of have to be cool no matter what. The, the one thing about that is, and I, I feel like I can say this with confidence. That I think a lot of times when that kind of thing happens, there's there's some issues with the dad or with parents and things mm -hmm. like that where um you know, I think for someone to get caught up in all of that more than you know, especially this day and age. I mean, I think back when our grandparents were kids, you'd meet and you'd go get married at sixteen after a week and right. then go take on the world. You know, I just feel like more now people kind of people that that have a good support structure people that are you know out there trying to do something with themselves are smarter than that maybe yeah. but i i like to think that my daughter is sure i um, think it's also there's just the generational difference like yeah. the younger generations they're waiting till way later yeah i I, I would say i mean you know again i like i said I, you know i don't know if she's gonna she's discussing going to texas a&m if she goes to Texas A&M, the chances of her meeting a military guy are better than normal. Right. And military people get married young. Yeah. And, you know, and it's to their benefit in so many ways, um, you know, to, again, I, I don't know that if I were writing her story, that's what it would be, but. You but know, you're not. I'm not. <laughs> no. And I'm not. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend to. I mean, I, I, I. I put out, I try to be, I'm less controlling, I think, than anyone else involved. <laughs> Not I think, I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, again, anything can happen. So, you know, that, when I go to a wedding now, uh, you know, that's, that's just what comes up, you know? I mean, it, it's just like, or anything, really. I mean, you know, when you, you start to look at our friends that have kids that are graduating, it's like, shit, that's my kid next year. Yeah. I was thinking about it on the drive home last night for some reason. And we got home and, you know, the, the, the ride home from the airport is, it seems considerably long when you've been gone for a while, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was driving and of course Casey was her, on her phone literally the entire time, which is fine. We just got back in town and yada. So I'm just listening to shitty music because she doesn't like to listen to the same stuff that I do and uh, thinking. And, um, and I was thinking to myself, Man, I have like one more. Uh, well, essentially, 
let's think about this for a second. I well, I have two more years of Jack not having a car, and then my commutes to take him to school and back and take him to golf and all that is that's it, you know. Wow. And we enjoy that time, you know. I I I pick him up early or pick him up, and then we we have time to kill for for activities, and and that's 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 our time. Yeah. You know, but anyway, it just goes by fast, and I think when milestones remind you of that, right? You know, uh, weddings and babies and graduations and and college graduations and all of those things continually just cram it right in your face as to like just how it's it's coming. Yeah the the whole process of of being a parent makes you look at stuff different. I mean, Tyler's not close to driving yet, but last year he turned eight, and that I was like, holy shit, this eight years yeah. has gone by ridiculously fast. He's halfway to driving, yeah. and uh, you know now it's another year past that. And you know, everyone thinks once you have kids, you start looking at stuff like if you're moving, what school district or this or that. But I'm past that. Even we're looking at like I really like this neighborhood, but what roads is he going to be driving on when he's a teenager? Oh, you right, know? interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to think about that because we do have. I mean, you guys live uh, near one of the most dangerous intersections in our area yeah not just our your city yeah well there's a couple of them but yeah yeah but that one which is a major thoroughfare which we're both on all the time it's right. where a couple of places that you and i go all all the time yeah and there's constantly fatal accidents there and i understand why because i've seen people do just the dumbest shit ever. yeah yeah and it's you know it's it the way that it's set up you know i they think they tried their best but when you put a walmart on a corner like that <laughs> You know, yeah. it's and then a Lowe's across the street. Yeah. I just told everybody where we live. <laughs> yeah, because there's only one corner with a Lowe's and a Walmart. Where nearby. else would you find that? They, it, they're just going to Google it. They're going to know right where we live. Oh, my God. They're going to probably figure out there's a Starbucks there. <laughs> they're going to be, oh, my God, a Wells Fargo, too. I know exactly oh, where God. they live. We are really narrowing it down. We really are. All right. Um, well, we actually just did this segment. Didn't talk about anything. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much our show now, <laughs> and I like it. Uh, we will be right back. Rockstar Dad listeners, HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. It's what you've always dreamed of. You started your own business. You have no boss. You are the boss. You are the CEO. Oh, my God. No one told you there would be so much admin work. Reality check. Running your own business is hard, but HoneyBook makes it easy. It's perfect for freelancers, entrepreneurs, and small business owners. You can consolidate services you already use like QuickBooks, Google Suite, Excel, and MailChimp. HoneyBook is going to be perfect for me. So glad to have them as a sponsor for this show. And you can do it too. As of right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit HoneyBook.com Rockstar. Payment is flexible and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to HoneyBook.com Rockstar for 50% off your first year. That's HoneyBook.com Rockstar. Welcome back to the Rockstar Dad Show. Uh, we are here with our guest, Sean Staples. Uh, Sean, what's going on? Hey, you know, same old, same old, you know. Man, I, here's the thing. Uh, with our producer, Sean, hooking up the interviews, we're going to cover the entire Sacramento music scene before this is all <laughs> said and done. I think it's a good idea. There's a lot of people out here, I'll tell you. There's, yeah. a, lot of, there's a lot of cool folks here. I'm definitely finding that out, man. Um, you know, and but but in all seriousness, uh, man, dude, 
talk about somebody who has been through everything in this industry. You have been a busy, busy boy, sir. I've done a lot of different stuff. There's no doubt about it. I've been I've been busy on lots of fronts for sure. We uh we like to talk more about being a dad. We'll get to that, but uh, definitely have a lot of guests. Or, or no, you're our guest. We have a lot of people listening, and we'll want to uh, hear about you. So I'm gonna do a quick run through. You stop me on all of the shit that I get wrong. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Okay. Uh, yeah, you founded Shine Drum and Percussion um, in Sacramento, California, and um, did started your own drum and percussion company and endorsed like some pretty fucking crazy artists. It was wild. It was kind of a wild run, you know. Um, start, you know, I started it, uh, the company because I was obsessed with drums, and you know, I was a guitar player mostly, and and just wound up falling in love with the drums because our, you know, my my drummer left his gear at my house. We used to practice at my place, and so they were always elusive and over in the corner. And I was always obsessed. And and after a while, and I could finally afford a set, I bought my own set, and and uh, it, the obsession just turned into wanting to tech it all out and learn how it worked, and and that just wound up, you know, with me figuring. Hell, I might as well start my own company, um, and that's what I did in in about 2000. I started in about 2004, and we kind of went live in 2005. I'm guessing either you had the nicer place with the bigger room to practice in, or you hated your neighbors because usually <laughs> the practice is at the uh, drummer's house because he doesn't want to move his shit. Yeah, I know it. In what was really shitty is this was an apartment, and uh, it was not cool at all. The, his <laughs> drum set was set up in my room. And we had like mattresses and egg crates all over the place. It it was insane. I don't know honestly how we got away with any of that shit, but um, we did somehow. Nobody ever complained. Our my upstairs neighbors were like crackheads, and they'd be vacuuming at four in the morning and weird stuff. So I I don't think they really had a leg to stand on. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely uh, it was definitely random for sure. You know what we never talk about, yeah. Gary? And this I think this is a good time to bring this up. But guitar players always have a fascination with drummer with playing drums. Okay. And many drummers always have a fascination with becoming lead singers because that's super common. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Steven Tyler and um, and Stacy Jones and all these Dave Grohl. Yeah. Former drummers that become frontmen. And the only thing any guitar player that I've ever been in a band with has ever wanted to do was play my fucking drums. <laughs> And uh, now that was when I was a kid because I'm not the drummer for this band. But see, that's why out of respect to you, Gary, I don't just get behind your drums all the time. Gotcha. Well, we did have a pool day on this last tour where um, Chris Bernie talked to me about 45 minutes about his drum knowledge and never asked a question. He was just talking. <laughs> at me. So maybe that's what you were experiencing, Sean. Uh, it was just that it's I think that you just couldn't help it. I couldn't, you know, I wanted drums when I was a kid and my parents were like, absolutely not. You know, they were not into that at all. Um, and so I'd always wanted to play drums. And as soon as like I was around some, I, I don't know, there's something about drums are so physical and like, you know, you, you, you may, it's so loud and exciting. I don't know. It was, it was so weird. I just saw him over in the corner and I was like, I need to like, Wait till everybody leaves, <laughs> and then I'm going to yeah. jump on those things and get wild. You know, yeah. the so, thing is that I think yeah. a lot of people listening to the show are like, his parents probably um, didn't want the noise in their house, but a lot yeah. of parents are just smart and know that it's fiscally responsible to have your child play guitar. It is way cheaper. Yeah. 
<laughs> so much cheaper. So, so much. much cheaper. Strings are a lot cheaper than drum heads for sure. Oh my god! And bass players, you just boil them. You know, I mean, boil the bass player. Yeah, you boil the. It's like Game of Thrones. Um, man, but I mean, you you found amazing success at it, dude. I mean, I'm just I'm reading off the list here of artists now. This is a question. So I'm reading Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, Ludacris, Matchbox 20, Third Eye Blind. Now, do you adore, endorse the drummers in those bands or the actual? That's correct, yeah. Okay, so who are some of the drummers that you were working with? I mean, it was uh, tons of people. Um, you know, Adam Marcello from, from Katy Perry. Was, That's who uh, I was, was hoping you were going to say. Seriously, yeah, he's a great guy and honestly was so he was he was so on board and just such a great um, steward for shine drums and and really was one of the big I mean, obviously, they were huge. I, when we signed Katie uh, and Adam, technically, um, they were on the Warp Tour still. So yeah. it was early on. Um, but he you know, he went on to to use our drums and the modern family theme and you know he 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 took our gear everywhere and tried to really get the name out so he was a big a big um help and and just a super nice guy and we got to make lots of really cool stuff light up drums and you know weird kind of fuzzy stuff and like it was cool it was a really neat time yeah he he is definitely a champion of the products that he plays i know him um he really is. and uh he is is just one of those dudes you know he's it's just a constant posting of of the gear that he uses and, and paying tribute to those who, who, uh, who provide it, you know, and, uh, and also a fucking great drummer. Oh my gosh. He's, he's incredible. And he does lots of interesting stuff too. Even back then, uh, in the early days, uh, you know, he was doing a lot of like, uh, interesting jazz and like really had, um, a wide variety of, of tastes and, and style. So he, he was just a great guy, but you know, like there's, there's honestly so many fantastic drummers that that really cared a lot you know and it as a for me it was I was I took my my own budget I didn't have anybody you know funding me at all I you know I took money that I had saved and I started this business and and you know when pe people had stick companies or string companies or drumhead companies they give artists gear or you know they give them endorsement they're giving them 50 bucks they're going giving them 150 bucks every time you know this guy was giving away a drum set it's costing me twelve hundred dollars right. so it was like it was such a huge investment for me every time that um it was fantastic when the artists really cared and they really tried to help spread the word and on top of that it was kind of before social media was really what it is you know mm. so i couldn't they weren't going on and hitting you know 50 70 100 000 people at once saying hey check out this gear it was like they had to go play it and then they had to go talk to other drummers. And so we really, I think, got a real fierce um, following because people heard about it from other people and yeah. directly. And it wasn't just like, a, hey, here's what I'm what I'm playing and this is what I do. So do still, it was an interesting time to be doing that. Do you keep up with uh, drums and stuff still or have you moved completely into your uh, the next thing? Yeah, I, I do to a degree. Um, I've you know, I've really wanted to keep the brand out there and and so i've worked with you know some vips and some special people to just kind of keep keep the brand going and we've made some gear and you know kept kept things trucking along but it's really become uh much more of a backseat focus to 
you know, the, the art side of things, uh, which is where I kind of moved into in about 2011. Um, yeah. So the, so that transition, you, the transition into the, into that huge sea of, uh, of songwriting and, and movie composition. What was that? Yeah. Oh. So, uh, you know, I, I, I really wanted to get back into the creative side of the business and, and I was always, uh, you know, a musician first and, and kind of business and gear guy second, you know? Um, and so right around 2011, I, I, I had a few hours one afternoon and I picked up my guitar and I started, uh, trying to write some music and the, the what was coming out was country music. And I hadn't really listened to country all that much. I was into a lot of emo and punk and a lot of that during the, during the shine drums years. And, I some of the guys in the shop would listen to country a lot and I and I I when I was like 18 I I had a forklift job and I used to listen to country on the forklift because that was all that would come in on the stereo and and so I kind of got into it back then to a certain degree but I hadn't really done much country until this afternoon and and that afternoon I picked up my guitar and I had I probably had like 12 good what I felt like were good country music starts in like an afternoon and I was like this is weird. I've never even because country is such a really specific type of writing style and very, you know, very locked in and very specific. And so I I just started, you know, following where it where it led me. And and so I started writing a bunch of country music and I went in and recorded some stuff at a, at a local studio here for some demos. And uh, some guys in town heard that music and they hit me up and said, hey, why don't you come over and we can write some music together. And so. I did, and we ended up writing a bunch of country songs and a bunch of pop tunes, and and it just ended up kind of going from there. It was wild. Lo and behold, you end up with a uh, Flo Rida co-write, which couldn't have sucked. Yeah. Yeah, no, that didn't suck at all. Uh, not at all. Yeah, it was um, we had written a few uh, what we thought were pretty good country music tunes, and we shopped them around Nashville for a while. And um, one of these tunes uh, ended up making its way to uh, Flo's camp um, at Atlantic. And we found out, lo and behold, he wanted to cut this tune um, around the, the music that we'd written for this song. So obviously we were very excited about that. And, and um, one of the writers, uh, Johnny Dutra, um, also was a, our producer and magician where production's concerned. And he did a lot of the production stuff and helped make, you know, kind of make this thing something viable for flow. And, you know, he ended up cutting it and in was, you know, in, I think it was about 2000, I think it was 17. And yeah. then, yeah, he released it as a single. So it was a wild, wild ride. <laughs> that man, that, that is to that say is the least incredible ride. Let's get into fatherhood so now here you are you're you know you you've been through a bunch over the course of of 20 years in the business and you know and now what i assume um you know with the songwriting and 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 not put not being as much an entrepreneur and being more of an artist you get a little bit more time at home yeah definitely definitely well you know i'd been <clears throat> married for almost 20 years when my wife and I decided that, you know, maybe it was time to to look at um, having a family. So we, you know, wanted to get a lot of things out of the way in our careers and traveling. And, you know, we had a lot of fun doing a lot of stuff. But we were like, hey, you know, I think it's time for that next chapter. And so, yeah, we we ended up 
um, having our daughter in uh, in 2017, and it's been absolutely fantastic. You know, it's it's been life changing and everything we hoped it would have been, and more. You got a flow rider single and a kid in the same year. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was really strange. Uh, I was very. Uh, I was probably the uniquest father uh, in the in the um, the ward there at the at the hospital that day for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think anybody else had had a flow single in there at the time. But uh, yeah, it was an it was a, such an amazing year that had so many amazing highlights. It, it was it, and it went by in a blur. It was it was there and it was gone so fast. All of it happened at once. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back with more Rockstar Dad Show right after this. Welcome back to the Rockstar Dad Show, still with Sean Staples here. Tell us a little bit, you know, tell us about that first feeling when Juliet comes into the world, besides the fact that it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I stayed I stayed up north. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to see oh. anything, you know. Um yeah, I didn't want to get involved there. That can be I didn't want to do that. So yeah, um it, you know, honestly, it was it's life-changing as as you guys know. It's it's like uh, it's literally like a page is flipped and you you're somebody before and then you're completely somebody different afterwards. And everybody yeah. always told me, you know, this is such an amazing experience and and you hear that and you're like you don't know what to expect you know you've got you're going you're going through all the process and you're buying all the stuff and you're putting the nursery together and all these things and then and then it happens and it's like you're you know you were somebody yesterday and now you're somebody else it was it was just absolutely thrilling it was she was born on april 2nd um and at like you know 12:30 in the morning basically and my wife did not want uh to have her on on April 1st and April Fool's Day so <laughs> it was like happening all of a sudden and, and it was like okay the doctor says okay stop pushing we're not going to push here and so we waited and waited and thank god she showed up on the second um <laughs> but uh yeah it was it was uh such an amazing experience and the whole family everybody was at the hospital as you would expect and and it was it was it's and it's not stopped since it's been like you know being on the bullet train since and in, in a good way so career-wise life was pretty crazy at the time then you throw in uh being a new dad for the first time that's crazy did you get to uh adjust your schedule any stay home a little bit or were you jet setting around uh and and right off the bat well, it's interesting because I after the after the flow thing kind of happened, I started getting a lot of writing dates in Nashville and and was traveling out there quite a bit. And so the first year, year and a half or so, I was on a like every other month. I was there for, you know, a few days and which was tough because, you know, I was trying to amass a lot of, of content and or tunes and trying to kind of stay up on it and and. That game is a really intense game, the the Nashville songwriting thing. So I was kind of, you know, it's weird because my career was just kind of getting some momentum at that time. And and obviously this child happens all at the same time as well. So it was just kind of I was just kind of holding on for dear life. But I did, you know, I I have had more time um to be around and and spend that time and especially you know, my, my, my wife works in San Francisco and she's gone, you know, three days a week. So it's just me and Juliet, um, for those three days. And obviously she, she goes to the daycare during the daytime and everything, but I'm kind of the, I'm kind of the, the solo dad for, for the weeks. And for a lot of the time, 
for the majority of this year up until a few months ago, uh, I was doing like five nights a week kind of thing. My wife was staying in the city a lot more. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great when they're a little baby, they go everywhere with you and they're, you know, they're just kind of there. But now that she's getting older and she talks and uses full sentences and, you know, is into things, it's, it's, uh, it's neat to be able to have more time with her one-on-one, you know, just, you know, her and dad time is, is fantastic. Well, and I, it's, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of people that just don't get the opportunities that, that I've gotten because of it. So I'm, well, I'm I think, really that you, I that think time. you have to pay testament, uh, to yourself too, though. I mean, first of all, keeping a marriage together 20 years, uh, it, with any person being in the music industry is a fucking miracle. Um, Second of all, just the fact that you got that your wife works in a different city uh, half the time, you know, or or whatever, and you guys are still keeping it together is is even more commendable. And then just the fact that you, um, you know, are being a real fucking stand up dad and being like, hey, you know, what? I'm going to be here for my kid. You know, I'm going to I'm and uh, you know what? My wife works over there and I'm going to be here. Um is a very unselfish and inspiring thing to hear uh, because, you know, you could be like, yeah, I got to get to Nashville. We're just going to have to get, you know, a nanny or a, or a grandparent to, you know, or whatever. Um, and, you know, for you to take stock of things and realize, hey, I can be here. I can do this. It says a lot for who you are as a father. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, it's 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 a trade off. You know, you get, I, I benefit a lot because my, you know, uh, I'm. I, I feel like I get so much from this. Um, and I, I also benefit from being able to kind of be able to focus during the day on, on what I do and, and my work. I, you know, I don't keep the late hours anymore. You know, it's like nine, nine o'clock rolls around and I'm, I'm a zombie. I'm exhausted, <laughs> but I'm also up at five in the morning, which yeah. is so random, you know, like right. I, I shine drums. We didn't even show up till nine or nine 30. Like sure. nobody was allowed to even get there, you know? So now by 930, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've had half my day, you know, so uh, it's, it's, you know, I also have to say, you know, my wife has always been really um, supportive of me and, and this weird life. And she's always been the rock in our relationship where with her job and everything else, she's kept the, she's kept it all down for sure. So, and, and, and her being, uh, working in the city, um, has really only been going on for a little over a year now. So, um, so, but I, you know, at, at the same time, again, I, I just look at it as, as a unique opportunity to be, you know, there and be with my daughter as much as possible. And so it's, again, I'm, I feel like there's a lot of people that don't get that opportunity. I see a lot of dudes on the road and a lot of people out working. And I, I just, I feel so bad for those people because I know that's got to be just brutal when you're like, goodbye, guys. I'll see you in three weeks when we're off tour or whatever. And right. that goes for for wives and family and friends and everything else, too, because that's that shit is hard, you know, like to leave and be gone is no joke. And especially, you know, where the era that we come from, you know, like you didn't have a cell phone. You didn't have FaceTime. You didn't have any of that shit. You had to grab a, you know, a couple of quarters and go find a payphone somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, the the people that held it together during those times, boy, I'll tell you that. You're right. That is that's brutal um, uh, to to have to pull that off on the road. My gosh, I can't even imagine. We are uh, we're learning more and more uh, as we do this show about how, you know, certain people handle it. And, you know, it, it varies. You know, there's people like us that we just tour in very short stints. You know, we find like 
MXBX and and uh, bands like that are doing that. And then you find those um, those bands that are just like, hey, I'm going to go out for two months, but then I'm going to come home for two months kind of thing. And yeah. somehow, yeah. you know, we, we, we've talked to a lot of people that are making it work, but I think, um, you know, if we can commend those those moms that that do the staying home when they're yeah. when those dads are out there traveling man i i they're saints oh my god it's i i it's you know so i was one of those people um that had kids before all of the technology shit and um i can yeah. tell you i well, i'm not married anymore to that that particular individual so <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean, I that, mean that's it, can just what, it really that's can what take it its toll now um you know i uh i am so are you so I'm, I'm certainly interested in how that then has changed what you're doing now. If you know, are you still doing the Nashville trips or are you Skype writing or are you just submitting from home now? Because the Nashville thing, as you said, um, is a crazy race hustle and they don't like to let people just in. So uh, it, it seems no, like if you're, don't. if you're not there, uh, it's kind of difficult to even really get anything heard, isn't it? It really is. You know, honestly, it works both that same way with with uh, film composing and television stuff. They don't they don't like it if you're not there and they can't come and sit down in your studio and listen to, you know, your dailies on what you've been working on. And the same thing goes for Nashville. They they want you to be there and sitting on a stool three nights a week at writers, you know, rounds and and playing for people. And, you know, I wasn't going to do that. You know, for me, I I I. The first couple of times I went to Nashville, it was like very sobering. I, I thought it was something and then I got there and then I saw just how brutal it was. You know, you'd you'd hear like somebody singing in a honky tonk at 930 in the morning on a Tuesday and they fucking they're amazing, you yeah. know, and you're like, how is this person not have a deal? Like what? I don't even understand. It didn't even make sense. Right. And then I, I, as I started going there more, I started realizing, wow, you know, there is such incredible talent here that you're up against Goliath when it comes to trying to achieve anything there. Sure. So, you know, I, I was, I was really, um, fortunate to have some friends and some people that helped me kind of help make some introductions and, and help kind of get me a little shoe in, but I knew all along I wasn't going to go sit on a stool in Nashville. So, um, you know, when I was originally kind of going, um, you know, I would go, We'd go to a, to um, one of the publishing houses, and I'd write, you know, with a couple people for a day or two or three, um, and then I would just hop on a plane and come back, and then I'd work on stuff here. And for me, I'm never, I'm never as good in the room as I am right here in my own studio in, you know, perfect silence. Like oh, I have a tendency to write swaths of music or you know concepts and all kinds of things here. And then I would take it and go, here's here's what I've got, you know, and, and then we could kind of branch from there. But there, the concept in Nashville, a lot of the time is you get together, everybody rolls in about 11 or whatever. Hey, how's it going? They'll grab some coffee or, you know, shot of something or whatever. And then it's like, OK, we're going to sit down and write a song, you know, like, hey, Bill, what are you thinking about? Hey, Jim, what are you thinking about? And so everybody would kind of share their concept and they'd, everybody would kind of go, okay, let's do that one. And then they'd sit down and it's like, okay, let's start cranking this out. And I, for me, that was never like, that was never my thing. I, I, I always had a challenge with 
being like, okay, today we're writing about, you know, belt buckles. And it's like, yeah. well, shit, that's, that doesn't, that's hard to do. But it's a, but it's also, it's a, it's a chess match, isn't it? Because when you're in that it room is. and I think people are really going to, going to like this interview because I think this is some amazing insight, but the chess match is this, is that I'm not going to give up my really good idea until I know you're worth yeah. a shit. So totally. what do you got? And, and if you're willing to bring forth something that I think is good, I'm not giving you my really good thing, you know? Totally. And so it's and one that's of those happened. things that's where definitely it's, happened. it's one of those things where in this industry we run into it on so many levels and video production and with, with this, it's what's your budget? You know, what's your budget? Well, I don't yeah. want to tell you what my budget is because I'd rather know <laughs> yeah. you tell me how much is it going to cost. It's the same thing, Yeah, right? totally. It's the same thing when you're sitting in that room. Always. I feel like that's my whole life, you know, honestly. Uh, it's everything. It's everything from, you know, film score budgets to to songwriting. You know, people walk in the room and they do. They're not going to they're not going to, you know, reveal their cards unless they think that you're worth it. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've been in the room with some interesting people and, you know, named folks. And it's, you know, it's really, really hard. And I suck at that. I'm not good at I'm not good at just coming up with the stuff on the spot. You know, mm. I'll be. I'll be knee deep in a film score and working on, you know, I'm writing orchestral music and all of a sudden I'll just space bar and be like, oh shit, I have an idea. And I'll just go grab my guitar or I'll whistle it into my phone really fast and I'll spend 20 minutes just fleshing something out real fast and then boom, I'm right back into, um, you know, what I was doing be before. So I, for me, it has to hit me. I have to feel it. I have to like have some sort of investment in the material for it to really work. And, th and that's why the Nashville thing's really tricky for me. Cause I've, like I said, I've sat in the room with, you know, with big people who have expectations. And when I'm just sitting there and they're going, all right, we're singing about this today, you know, we're, we're going to yeah. write a song about that. It's really challenging. And, and unless I'm like, Hey, well, let me show you and let me, let me bring you something here, which I typically try to do anyway, because it's a lot easier to just kind of put all the cards on the table where, where, you know, where I'm concerned and then they go, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's cool. Let's go with that or what have you. So that's the way, the way I try to do it. And, you know, it's more so with budgets and money. Does that kind of come into play where, sure. where, where film and TV stuff happens, where you're trying to kind of keep your cards close to your chest in the songwriting thing? I just typically go, Hey, you know, here it is. This is what I'm, this is what I got, you know? Yeah. And, and I just I typically just put it out there. Well, I think the bigger I think the bigger the writer, the less they want to bring something in at, to to start totally. you off. If you're if you're if you're one of the three, because I know that's the magic number in Nashville's three in a room. Three, and you know if yep. you're one if you're one of the newbies or whatever, like you know said guy is going to see what you're going to bring, and and I think it's easy to and and I I'll admit I'm guilty of this of going well fuck you I'm not going to give you shit like let's see what you got you know you but then totally. you're like oh but you know then then you start to think about oh you wrote that fucking Oak Ridge Boys song you know that that was fucking, you know it sounds like it's a race to the bottom no one yeah. wants to give up the good shit well, so no. let's write a shitty <laughs> song together just, it, that's just it and that's what totally. happens and honestly I've been in a situation where you all three know it's a shitty song but you're just ready to get the fuck out get of out of the room. room yeah oh great yeah. see you later I yeah. hate that. Yeah, and nobody I hate that feeling. Yeah, it's the worst. And I feel like, you know, I think in any other situation, if it weren't that particular vibe, you could go, you know, and in the situations that I put myself in, because uh, I'm like you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't think I'm built for that. But I will just say, you know what? This song sucks. Why don't we start something else? You know, like maybe we're gonna mm -hmm. be an hour late for dinner. Who gives a fuck? Let's write a great song. Yeah. 
Um, totally. I don't want to waste time on something that's not good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's because I've done that. You know, like you said, we've all been in that situation where you're sitting around and you're like, this, this song blows yeah. and this is never going anywhere. And why are we wasting our time with it? Like, yeah. I, I will typically try to just say, hey, look, I, I don't really feel like this is going anywhere, you know, yeah. like and a lot of the time I've said that before. And a lot of the time it's like, OK, well, let's just, you know, jam through it and finish it and they'll type it up and stick it in the book or whatever. And it's like, OK, you yeah. know, at least it's there. I don't know what good that is. I see these books and there's, <laughs> there's thirty five hundred fucking pages in there. And I'm going, that's not a good sign, you know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 tough. Writing is like I there's there's dudes in Nashville that are known for all these great songs and they get together with the same people or they'll get together with two of them that they know what's up and then they'll get the person who's going to sing it and they'll add them in so they can get their writer's credit on it. Yeah. And, and they'll, and they, and they just know it and they, they know that they're going to have a, a good session every single time. And, and then you get, you know, like I've been in a lot of the dog from every city kind of writing sessions where you don't know this guy's super twangy and writes about you know really hillbilly stuff this guy's like trying to do pop country and you know and here i am and like so you just it's the there's definitely a, a formula for dudes that know what they're doing or people i say dudes every people songwriters sure that know what they're doing and they work together with each other in a really good way and those that's why there's so many singles by those people because they just they know how to do it, and they're good in the room with each other, and it works. Yeah, and they've got the formula. So, now, okay, so back yeah. to fatherhood. We've Nashville enough. <laughs> uh, I've, I've kept you a long time, but we haven't talked enough about your kid. Can, we, can you give us a few more minutes? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Tell us, uh, Juliet, right? Yep. Tell us what a, what a normal day is like for you guys. Wife's gone to work. You know, um, she's up at, at – is she really getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, or is that you – uh, being an overachiever and like working out and shit. <laughs> no, she, so typically it depends these days. She's gone like Mondays through Wednesdays. So she has an apartment in, in the city. So she'll get up on Monday morning before the crack of dawn, hit the road. And then she's, and I don't see her till late Wednesday night. Um, so what I'll typically do, I wake up about honestly, you know, five thirty ish. Um, and Juliet gets up about, 545 or so so you normally I'll get her up um around then and I'll bring her into my room and you know she can watch blippy and have some milk or whatever <laughs> I'll get ready uh and then and then we'll kind of hang around go downstairs have some breakfast play for a little while and then we go off to um her her daycare and I'll drop her off and then I'll be back here by about 7 30 in the morning and I'm off and running and then I'm typically pick her up about five o'clock um she's at different places different days so s most days are pretty typical on that schedule um but yeah so i'll pick her up about five you know we'll go uh we'll come back home i'll make dinner you know we'll play for a little while longer watch some frozen or whatever <laughs> whatever the the uh um the show du jour is and right. then um yeah and then it's off to bed and um you know i'm exhausted and that's a she goes down about seven o'clock, seven thirty. So by about eight thirty, I'm starting to get tired, and by about nine thirty, I'm checked into bed, and you know, and we Groundhog Day the next day, and just keep on trucking. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, so yeah, that's the normal. That's the normal norm, huh? And then uh, when you guys, well, then you guys get you know a, a solid. I'm sure after rest, a solid three days together as a family. 
You know, are you yeah. guys, there's, there's certain things that you guys like to do on the weekends. Um, I mean, yeah, we like to go, you know, we like to take her out and go shopping and go out to eat and, you know, we'll go when it's, when it's not raining, we'll go uh, to the park and take her on bike rides and, you know, the normal, you know, Ozzy and Harriet kind of like, you know, suburban lifestyle stuff. So we, you know, we just, what for us, since she's our only child and we don't have any dogs and cats and animals anymore. You know, it's like she's everything. So when, you know, when we're all here, it's like it's all all revolves around her until, you know, until I'm back in my office again come Monday morning. So, you know, we it's it's fun. I being 43 now, uh, getting up and down off the floor all day is a little bit of a challenge. Um, things hurt and pop and, oh, you know, Jesus. It's, you know yeah. it's a different it's a different experience, but um, but we do it, and hopefully it keeps hopefully it keeps me a little young. We'll we'll have to see. My daughter, my daughter has just recently got way into Ring Around the Rosie, and that is a lot of getting oh up and gosh. down. I feel for you, yeah, yeah, Jesus, Christ. yeah. We are we've been doing that as well, and I've forgotten what it's like to try to fake fall. <laughs> uh, and I'm not quite to the like actual real falling yet. Um, but yeah, the ring around the Rosie is, is happening around here quite, quite a lot. So, and it's like, and it's over and over and over again. You're like, I can't keep doing this or I'm going to need a hip replacement for crying out loud. Guys, I don't know how y'all even do that. Like I, I, I seriously, I can't, I can't fucking, I mean, yeah, no, no, there's no, I just, I'll, I'll. Yeah, ring around the rosy. I think I just avoided that. You'll you'll tear a third knee. Yeah, exactly. I can't. can't <laughs> That's do right. It. It's I didn't even know I hadn't been on the floor like that in in years. I or ever really. I don't since I was a kid. So I didn't even. All of a sudden, there's like this weird experience of like playing on the floor. I'm like, this is so bizarre. <laughs> um, very very strange. But yeah, I honestly don't know how. I think there's just like this thing that happens when you're like an older dad. You just kind of like you power through it. You're like, I guess we're getting on the floor. You know, yeah. I guess, you know, this is happening <laughs> yeah. whether you want to or not. Just what we're going to do, like whether or not I could get back <laughs> up or not. And what's funny is, is I, yeah. you guys talk about this. I was just thinking back to like how, when I was a kid and like my great grandpa would be like, yeah, I'll get down on the floor with you or whatever. And everybody in the room would be like, no, no, it's okay. Like whatever. And he'd be like, <laughs> no, do it's it. fine. You know? And then it took four other people to get him up, but he was happy that he yeah. done it. He didn't walk right for the rest of the day, you know. That's right. There's been a couple of times where I'm like, you know, like trying to get up the off the floor, and I'm like, can I do this? Am I going to be able to actually get up here? You have to do like the couple of, you know, trying to pull yourself up a couple times before you get up. You're like, shit, I am getting old here. This is weird. <laughs> that yeah. is definitely Not what cool. happens. Sean, uh, what a pleasure, man. What a, what a cool story. And uh, again, I, I don't think we got enough into your uh, into family life. So let's catch up again down the road and do this again. Yeah, man. I really appreciate it. I, thanks so much for having me on. I'm, I really do appreciate it. No, man. Thank you, Sean. We appreciate it. And uh, good luck with everything. And um, we'll, uh, we'll talk more about the film and, and stuff next time. And obviously yeah. Juliet and, um, you know, Keep uh, keep holding that little girl close. Yeah, will do. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Later Talk time. to you later. Okay, bye. All right, all right. This is a song for my friends Jared and Gary. They started a podcast and said a theme was necessary. They're just a couple of guys in a band that you know. Some rock star dads who started a show. 
Until the next episode.